Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I think it's very important where we as people turn for clarification in the midst of difficulty. Some people's knee-jerk response is to turn to their friends. I just want to call a friend. I want a familiar voice. I want someone that gets me, that can understand me, can talk. And that might be good or bad, depending on what kind of friends you got. Depending on whether your friends give Bible counsel or I think I feel you should counsel. I would just suggest to you that our knee-jerk response should be to turn to the Lord, to look to God, to give God first dibs. When you're faced with a difficult situation, where do you turn? Are there particular friends you turn to? Pastor Bill points out that it is good to have people in your life who will offer faithful counsel. But we should always turn first to God himself because he loves you and he's in control. As Pastor Bill teaches from the Old Testament today, he reminds us that under the new covenant, we have the privilege of being able to come before God without a mediator because our only mediator is Jesus himself. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 36, as he begins his message, Keep It in the Family. I want to ask God to bless our time in the Word. So, fathers, we study this final chapter of the book of Numbers. We ask that you would bless it, Lord. Pray, God, you would help us to gather and gain and benefit in every way that we should. Every lesson, Lord, help us to get it. And even the, this last chapter, the last items being dealt with, Lord, I pray, God, that you would teach us through what we're reading and listening to. Be glorified in this place. Teach your kids. Draw us close to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're writing notes, I titled tonight's chapter, Keep It in the Family, and you'll see why as we get into it. This last portion of the book of Numbers, we're going to get taken back to something that happened in chapter 27. So, If you guys remember in chapter 27, there were these daughters, these girls, and normally the inheritance was left to the sons. And their dad didn't have any sons. And so they came to Moses and the elders and leaders and said, hey, hey, wait a minute. My dad never had sons. All it is is us. So, you know, we want our dad's name to continue to go on and we're girls. So what happens to us? And it was good that they were bold and courageous and went forward to the leadership. Moses then took the request to the Lord and the Lord said, as a matter of fact, they should have an inheritance in the land. And God said, it'll go to them. It'll go to the daughters. That's how this will be handled. So their dad's name will continue in the land. And we talked about that in chapter 27. Well, I want you to put that back in your remembrance because the issue we're dealing with is that was a solution to a problem that created another problem that comes up. So look at chapter 36, and I'll look at the first few verses. It says, Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Mekur, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot, to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. 
so it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And so, last verse, verse four, and when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. So here goes the dilemma. These girls, again, in chapter 27 went and they said, hey, our dad didn't have any sons. And, you know, when he dies, his name is going to be taken out of the land, but we want his inheritance to come to us. And so they granted them that. Now they kind of realize that, wait a minute, because all the tribe, remember, every tribe has been given their portion. That's what we looked at in the last few chapters. So every tribe has been given its portion. They said, now these girls, if they marry men from another tribe, then this inheritance that the initial idea was to keep it in the family, keep their father's name going. But if they marry somebody from the tribe of Dan or Nephtali or somewhere else, then our father's inheritance goes somewhere else. And so they're saying, well, then in a sense, you know, what God kind of divvied up fairly can end up being all mixed up and through marriages. And so they were trying to deal with it. Now another problem that had arisen out of it. And so a few things I want to bring up that I think are important. First of all, just like in chapter 27, when those girls realized, hey, we're not going to get anything. I want to give you what they could have done. And I want to highlight what they did do. They could have murmured among themselves. They could have become bitter and be like, that's not fair. And they could have went to all the other girls in town and said, I don't, I don't think it's fair that the guys get land and we don't get land. They ain't do that either. What did they do? They went to the representative. They went to those that God had put in leadership and said, hey, it seems unfair, but this is kind of the rule that God put out. So what do we do? And God heard them and God granted them what they were asking for. They did the right thing. They took their problem to the Lord. Now in chapter 36, as people realize that, hey, this could go wrong in another way. I just want you to note that they came to the leaders. They came to the chief fathers. They came to Moses. They came to the leadership, the elders, those were left in charge. And the first thing that I would bring up and point out and even ask you to consider in your life is when there is difficulty, when you need clarification on something, where do you turn? What's your knee-jerk response? You know, when you're struggling through something, you, you kind of come across something that's, that doesn't quite make sense. I'm not sure what the right thing to do is here. What's your natural inclination? What do you do? Who do you call? Who do you look to? Where do you turn? Where do you go? Where do you receive from? And I think it's important because we got two instances where people had legitimate, this doesn't really make sense. It doesn't seem fair and I'm not sure what to do. And they turn to God or his representation in the earth at that time, and they receive clarification. I think it's very important where we as people turn for clarification in the midst of difficulty. Some people's knee-jerk response is to turn to their friends. I just want to call a friend. I want a familiar voice. I want someone that gets me, that can understand me, can talk, and that might be good or bad, depending on what kind of friends you got. Depending on whether your friends give Bible counsel or I think I feel you should counsel. I would just suggest to you that our knee-jerk response should be to turn to the Lord, to look to God, to give God first dibs on speaking to you. And this is why I say that. In my own life, there have been times where the direction that I needed, I just don't believe. Once I heard from God on certain things, I was positive that I don't think I know a human being that would have given me that counsel. It was so unique to my situation, but it was so spot on for me. 
And other times, for me, I receive it more supernatural when I get it from the Lord. I might talk to friends. How many of you guys got friends that they just want the best for you and they're always going to speak positive for you? I mean, I got Christian friends, I got pastor friends, I could tell them anything, and they love me so much that they're just going, no, it's going to work out, Billy, you're going to be fine, man, just, just, just go, just, you know, they're just going to tell me, you know, they just believe the best about every situation, and I'm never going to get a, wait, wait a minute, pause, pray, think, slow down, they're just not going to counsel me like that, and I have to be aware that while they mean well, that might not always be well for me, and so I'm encouraging you guys I think we should always be looking to the Lord, in particular, when there are circumstances that are difficult, when there are questions, when there are things that kind of challenge us in our heart, we want to look to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do here? What should I do? What would you have me to do? And let the Lord speak in a way that it's from God, it's, it settles it, it, it brings clarification. If, and if I could pull an example out of my own personal life, while we're going through this whole situation, trying to get a build and everything else, it's been an interesting for me, you know? It's interesting in this way. The whole time we've been at church, six years, I've wanted to build it. I'm like, God, if we could just have a place where everything would be under one roof. Um, God, we could just have, I've been begging God, begging, 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 begging. Then God finally says, boom, here's a place. And everything looks like it's starting to go. And, and I feel like God's giving me peace and confirmation that it's moving forward. And then finally it moves over and they give a paper. And I'm like, and I remember at first, when I first got the lease in my email, it just, it got real, real at that moment. And I was like, is this the right decision? I start back I'm like, well, God, I know I've wanted it, but I don't want it if you don't want it. And I'm going to make sure you want it. If you don't want it, I don't want it. I'm backpedaling in my own mind and everything else. And God kept taking me back to what he had said. And I got these verses that came to me out of the Bible reading. I'm going to just give you the dates and what they were. The first time God had spoke to me about it was the day that I went to look the first time, which was out of 2 Samuel 7.10. And I've shared that with you guys. God was there saying that, you know, you're no longer going to tabernacle from place to place, but I'm going to give you a home. I'm going to give you a permanent place. I'm going to do it. And I was like, I just believed that that was the Lord saying, right now, this is me. And I felt full of faith that day. And then ball got moving forward. Then on, and that was just the Bible reading on May 25th. Then on July 14th, in the reading again, I read, right in the reading, it was the same exact verbiage. To me, God was reaffirming, hey, I'm in this. Keep it rolling. Don't look back. You know, don't lose heart. And then again, this week in First Chronicles 28, 20, the same exact thing again. And I felt like the Lord just said, you don't, don't make me say this again. Like, you just need to go ahead and have a good time, and I'm doing it, you know. And, but this is why I share that with you. A word from man, it just wouldn't bring me the peace that a word from God brings me. I got a lot of men that love me, and they're just going to tell me all the nice things they could say. And I hear it like that. I know you mean well, and I appreciate it. But it doesn't build up my faith. But a word from God does something for me internally and supernaturally where now it doesn't matter what I see. I just believe. I believe God spoke. I believe, you know, he's saying move forward. And so I just encourage this. That's why I'm always, guys, do Bible reading. Spend time in the word. You know, just develop that personal direct connect with God. There's no way to replace that. You know, we're not Moses, right? This is important to note, too. They were under a different covenant and they had a different kind of relationship with God. Could they pray? Yes. But God had established Moses in their life as an intercessor. That was his role, his function. Is there a man in between you and God today? No. The Bible says there's one mediator in the New Testament. There's one mediator between God and man. Who is it? It's the man Christ Jesus. I'm not your mediator. Pastors aren't mediators, friends aren't mediators, counselors aren't mediators. You can go direct connect. 
And so because we have that relationship, we want to take advantage of that. Amen? God, I can cry out to you whenever I want. You know everything. You love me more than anybody else. You're never wrong ever. I can come to you. Absolutely. And so we want to be going to him. And we go to him in prayer, but we open up the gate or we open up the conversation for God to speak to us as we open up the word of God. Every time you open the word, it's giving God an opportunity to speak into your heart, speak to your life, reveal things, teach you things that you need to know. And sometimes God's just giving you information and you're learning about who he is and how he behaves and his ways. But sometimes you're reading the book and God has said, I got a word for you today. Boom. And it's something that he's wanting to plant in your heart to create faith, to create peace, to settle you when you're all disheveled. And so I pray that we would be a people that just fall in love with the Bible. I pray that we would be people that just don't go anywhere without a copy of it, that we just, we look forward to reading it, that we're just into it, not for any pharisaical kind of reason, not to be able to stand up and say, I've read such and so chapters a day, but so that we would just know him, we would know his heart, that we would be in touch with him. So moving on, they went to Moses, they went to them and they gave him this information. And then two things in verses three and four, it says, this is the conflict. If they were to marry other men from other tribes, it said that, verse three, now if they marry to any of the sons of other tribes or the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and it'll be added to their inheritance. And then lastly, in the last part of verse 4, it says, so their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Here's the big deal. Back then, the father was an important fixture in the family setup. Now, I don't think it's different today. I don't think that the father is less important today. I think he's just as important today. And I want you to note that those daughters were concerned that their father's name would continue to be important that their dad's name would continue to be spoken, that their dad's name would continue, that he wouldn't lose anything. Even as it comes here and they're trying to settle the thing, they're saying, we want to make sure that the name of the fathers, that it stays intact. This is what I gather. They recognized here that it was important that these men were leaders, they were fathers, God had established them, their offspring that they had had there, God had blessed them with something and it was a carry on and God didn't want it to be taken away. I look in our culture and I believe the same is true. I believe that fathers have a critical, important position and place in the role of the family. And I believe that one of the reasons that the world is in the condition it's in, one of the reasons that the family structure is broken down as bad as it is, is because this has been under, I believe, demonic and satanic attack for as long as people have been coming together and making babies and having families. Interesting that it takes a man and a woman to make a child, takes a man and a woman to raise, it does. It takes a man and a woman to make one. God set that up because it will take a man and a woman to raise one and God put a man in a certain kind of role of father. And I would just challenge the fathers here and even those that are not, if you're a wife, your husband's a father, that we would be supportive of men in that role that this man has been placed. Now, it didn't say, I don't know what kind of dad those girls had and I don't know, even as it speaks here, just in generalities, like these fathers had been given an inheritance from God and God wanted it to continue with their family. There was something that those dads had passed down and was supposed to continue to be passed down on and on. As it comes to the New Testament, it's different. Your inheritance and my inheritance is not land. It's not stuff. What's your inheritance? I want the dads today to think for a minute. My inheritance is not like 
Old Testament saints. God's, I have an inherited land. It'd be nice if I did and I had a gang of land to give my kids, but that's not my inheritance. What's my inheritance? It's spiritual, right? My inheritance is spiritual. Just like what they were handing down was what God had promised them. They had received it. They had enjoyed it. And now they pass it on down to their kids. Well, what God has passed down to me in promise is spiritual. And I'm supposed to pass it down to my kids. And that ends up being under attack. It's one of the things that Satan, I think Satan does everything he can do to get a father out of the home. To get fathers and kids separated. Some of it's a result of sin. Some fathers have never been in their kids' life. But they made kids and they never wed the mothers. And they never were involved in a biblical way. But even today, you know, the people that have had families, I look at the reasons that people divorce for, how selfish they are. Most divorces, most divorces, whittle down to this. People won't forgive. That's the bottom line. Most divorces, you got people that have decided, I've had enough. I will not forgive anymore. I can't stand them. I've heard people be as selfish Christians, as selfish as this. I had somebody tell me this. They had got this counsel from a supposed Christian counselor that I know God wants me to be happy and he doesn't make me happy and so I'm going to get a divorce. And I'm like, for real? Christian counselor? They should be smacked in the mouth and then have a license taken away to tell somebody that that's a viable cause to break up a marriage and then take a dad away from these kids and let them fend for themselves and all of that. I would just speak to us and say, we want to have a mindset about this that comes from scripture. Even, I think we need to encourage, moms need to encourage kids and their dads to have time, even if you're not with him. For parents that are together, there's so much I could say on this, that even within the family structure, some women are unsubmissive and not respectful, and so the kids will never see that man the way God intended him to be seen because of you. Some men are so weak and carnal and fleshly that their kids will never see in them what God wanted them to see in them. And I just would challenge everybody, whatever position you play, your dad, do your best. Be proud of the opportunity to be a dad and walk in that. That's a calling. Being a father is a calling. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. Make sure you don't blow it and waste it. Make sure that you realize that now it's not a chance for me to be carnal and fleshly and all about me when I got some other people that are totally dependent on me to be an example to them. And then if you're married to a father, make sure that you don't demean, diminish, or cause him to not be able to be in the kids' lives what God wants him to be. They were taking great stakes here to make sure that these fathers didn't get robbed of something that belonged to them. It's an interesting verse. It's a prophecy about the condition of the end times and something that God was going to be doing in the end times. If you're writing notes, you can just write this down. Write down Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And this is something God said here. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. It says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And interesting that God's recognizing that in the last days, there's going to be a need for some supernatural healing between children and fathers. And God said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their kids and the hearts of the kids back to their dads. Something that he's going to need to do unless he has to come and strike the earth. Be mindful of the significance of that relationship that as we're looking at them back here fighting for 
the dad's name. Even when dad's gone and dead, long gone, they said we want to make sure his name continues to go forth in Israel because it's important. Now look at verses 5 through 9. It says, Then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophiah, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. So here goes the conclusion and the solution. They said, those girls have their dad's land. They can marry whoever they want, but they got to keep it in the family. Now, this is kind of weird for us because we would consider that incest. They're going to end up having to marry cousins, essentially. And this is before those commands. And it eventually becomes a command and a rule that people cannot do this, but it's not so yet. And so at this point in time, that was going to be okay. That was who they were going to have to marry so that their father didn't lose anything, that their inheritance, their plots of land didn't go over to another tribe. But now I want to bring it back because it's something that we see throughout the scriptures. Here, they're told, not only can you only marry a believer, but you got to marry a believer from the right tribe. And I titled tonight's message, Keeping It in the Family, because something I see throughout scripture is they're told here, you can marry whoever you want, long as they're part of this family, then you can marry them. Whoever you want, whoever seems best to you, long as they're part of this tribe. And as I look at that, I was weighing what would be lost if they were to step outside everything. So let's say one of those girls was like, well, I, I saw a guy from that other tribe and he, he's really cute and I like him better. And all the guys from the tribe over here are ugly and they don't have good jobs and they got jacked up chariots and so I like that guy better or whatever. And if she decided, I just gonna do that anyway, then everything that was her father's would be forfeited. It would go over to his family. So she would, basically something would be taken away from their family. Now, what's lost today when someone from God's family marries somebody that's not from? Because that's what's different for us. God hasn't given us any instruction as far as who we can and can't marry except that we be equally yoked together. Meaning that we both are in a similar place concerning our relationship with God. Those are the ruling of scripture for us. So what's lost in our day when a believer decides, I'm gonna step outside. I think it'll work out. And many different reasons why people make that compromise, but what can be lost everything. This is from my vantage point, what I've seen. I've seen people make that compromise, get married, and forget that, you know, sometimes when people are looking at someone that they like, they forget that, you know, later on, if y'all get together, there are gonna be kids coming. And you're not just picking someone for you, you're picking a mother or a father for those kids. You're picking someone that's gonna be a lifelong example and fixture in your kid's life. And cute wear out real quick if that's all that's there. 
Once you have some kids and you need someone that can make wise decisions and give good leadership and then you're not on the same page. One of us wants to go to church. One of us like not nah, football. One of us wants to go to Christian school. One of us says, no, I, my parents were like this. Now, neither one of my parents were genuinely involved in any kind of religious practice. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that he taught them are the same ones he teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what he's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that he was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.